Hey gang, Paul here. The episode you're about to hear is going to sound a little dated and possibly out of order. I mentioned Hurricane Irma in the beginning, which at this point is frankly old news. The reason you didn't hear it sooner is because we recorded this episode on September 23rd, 2017. A week later, as this episode was in the beginning stages of being edited and cleaned up and readied for release, the Las Vegas Strip shooting happened. Coincidentally, we talked about Las Vegas and the Strip in the pop culture segment of this episode, and out of respect for any of our listeners or their families who were affected by this horrible crime, Donna and I felt that releasing this episode only three days after the mass shooting was just too soon. We wanted to give everybody time to mourn and to heal. Please consider this episode a tribute from Donna and I to the storied history of Las Vegas and the people who live there. You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Studios. It's a lonely life, but that's why flamingos come here. With the place all to themselves, they have the privacy to dance. Hello, and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump up, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name is Paul. I'm not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I'm still not an animal expert, but today we are going to talk about flamingos. But first, the news. This is Varman's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. You know, I try not to make these episodes of Varman's too dated, but we are recording this a little more than a week since I returned home because I had to evacuate due to Hurricane Irma, and it is so, so good to be doing this podcast again. One question I got while I was evacuated, and I got this from the Varman's discussion group, was what do zoos do with their animals during a hurricane? Well, the zoos in Florida have learned some really hard lessons and have pretty much figured this out, especially with their birds, which are the most vulnerable animals in Florida zoos. So in 1992, Hurricane Andrew hit Miami, and there was a famous photograph taken at Zoo Miami of a flock of flamingos that were kind of huddled in a men's bathroom. Since then, Zoo Miami has built a special concrete bunker for their flamingos and other birds, Some animals were sent to the Monroe County Jail for their protection. So the Lowry Park Zoo in Tampa, the Naples Zoo, Everglades Wonder Gardens, which is just around the corner from my house, and Bush Gardens also either put their flamingos and other animals either in specially made enclosures or in restrooms. And now of the five places that I mentioned at the time of this recording, the Lowry Park Zoo and Bush Gardens in Tampa, they have reopened and you can visit them. The other three are closed indefinitely due to downed trees and and structural damage, and they're a real mess. But of these five zoos that I've mentioned, thousands of animals between five of these zoos, there were only two casualties. And the animals at the rest of the zoos, they're all alive, they're all accounted for, and it's because of the dedicated zoo employees who, as far as I'm concerned, they just... They didn't get paid enough to stay and care for and, and feed and protect these animals through the storm while almost everybody else evacuated. Thank you, zoo employees, volunteers, and zoo supporters and visitors. It's 
all because of you that these animals made it through the storm. So yes, kudos to you. And go visit your zoo if it's open and maybe even buy a season pass because that money goes toward stuff like this. Taking care of the animals, especially during a natural disaster, get making sure that they're fed and watered and have all their needs met. Yeah, it's a very cool thing to do. I love Absolutely. our zoo, and I love visiting other people's zoos, so if I can get back down to there, I will definitely do so at some point. <laughs> Yay! Just a reminder to go to blazingcariboustudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at at varmintspodcast, all one word, and at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. We also have a Pinterest board that I am up to date with, and that is a link at the bottom of our show notes. We'll get you there. If you like our show, head on over to iTunes, which is actually now called Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, and leave us a nice little rating and review. Now let's learn about the fabulous Flamingo. <laughs> the kingdom of animals is fascinating. Now I'm going to tell you about their behavior and living patterns. So come on! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? We are blathering about flamingos today. Flamingos are a wading bird in the order Phenicopteridae, which means that they are related to other flamingos. They are the only birds in that order. They are their own special kind of little birdie. There are six species of flamingo. Four of them are native to the Americas, and the other two are native to parts of Africa, Asia, and Europe. The greater fl flamingo is the largest species. They're a big bird. I didn't realize how big they were. Yeah, they average big. between 110 and 150 centimeters tall, which is between four and six feet tall mm -hmm. and weigh between two and four kilograms, which is about four and a half to nine pounds. The lesser flamingo is the smallest species, but they're still a good sized bird. They can weigh from 1.2 to 2.7 kilograms, which is a two and a half to about six pounds. And their standing height is around 80 to 90 centimeters, which is around three feet. So big bird. Mm-hmm. The word flamingo comes from the Portuguese or Spanish flamengo, which is which means flame-colored. Uh, aside from their size, they are easily identifiable by their S-shaped necks, their curved beaks, their very, very slender legs, and especially by their plumage, which is various shades of pink and bright red, depending on the species and the age of the bird and by what they eat and by a lot of things. But they're normally some shade of, of pink or red. Yeah, the color actually comes from the alpha and beta carotenoid pigments inside the critters that they eat. So they eat algaes and little itty-bitty crustaceans, like microscopic crustaceans. And they the protein molecules that are in there um, may be blue or green, but after they're digested, the carotenoid pigments dissolve in the fats and are deposited in the feathers as they grow, and they become orange or pink. So that's pretty okay. much why that happens. So. so I was always taught that it was because they ate a lot of shrimp. Sort of. I mean, they, yeah. <laughs> they don't eat the shrimp that we eat, you know? Because I always thought that if that were true, that by the time I got done at a Chinese buffet, I would be some shade of fuchsia. But I figured <laughs> there, there must be more to it than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you, 
are not a flamingo and you don't have feathers that are relying on these <laughs> proteins for coloration. So I suppose that would be why. But the, the shrimp they're talking about are like little, that my tiny microscopic guys that are in the water with algae. Okay, so not even stuff. like salad shrimp. No, no. These are the tiny itty shrimp. The shrimpiest of the shrimp, right. if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't have a have a lot to focus on as far as just one adaptation, which I think what you're going to do will take up a little more time. So I'm just going to do a little bullet point list of just basic facts. And one was sure. how they get their color, which we just talked about. So baby flamingos are born white. They're born with no color. So okay. they, get, they get all of that with the same method as their parents. They also, they're fed a liquid that's called crop milk. This is a little weird. And I, Ew. I, you should watch a video of it if you can because it looks a little strange. <laughs> the crop milk. That needs a little bit of rebranding, I think. I know. <laughs> they should call that, I don't know, is Monster Energy Drink? Taken? I think that's taken. <laughs> what if we found out that monster energy drink was flamingo crop milk? I think that we would be surprised if that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> but they have uh, both parents make the crop milk, which is produced in glands that line the upper digestive tract and not just mm. the crop. The milk, it's not actually milk, but it contains, because it's not from a mammary gland and it doesn't it doesn't have that doesn't have the stuff that milk has but what it has is i was just gonna say flamingos don't have nipples no they just call it milk because it's convenient i think but it contains fat protein and it contains red and white blood cells so it's red and it so it's creepy and weird but also kind of cute in a gothy (laughs) way that i kind of really like (laughs) so So, since flamingos don't have nipples are they are they horking that up into the baby flamingo's mouth like birds do? They drip it into their mouths. So Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes it a little more pleasant, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a halfway between creepy and pleasant because, I mean, the color is, like, red. It looks like blood. Like, it's wow, Ugh. you know? And it's got red and white blood cells in it. So, I mean, some of it is blood, but... Uh, you know, I mean, they're baby flamingos, and that's how they get their nutrition until they can start feeding themselves. So, but it's not very long; it doesn't take too long, just a few weeks. But cool. um, each baby flamingo is born. This I found this was interesting. Each one is born with the ability to make an individual call that identifies them to their parents that they will use for the rest of their lives. Oh, that is neat. Yeah. <laughs> so. Wow. And I bet they all sound the same to us. I'm sure they do, but the mama and daddy can tell who their chick is. And they can tell for the whole of their life. So they they have relationships with their parents for the whole of their existence until the parent dies. So <laughs> That is so cool. Yeah, interesting. Donna. Yeah. What do flamingos and whales have in common? I think you already know the answer to this. Oh, I don't. They're filter feeders, both of them. Oh, oh, well, I guess I did know that, but I didn't didn't know that I knew that. (laughs) So like baleen whales, flamingos have rows of plates inside their beaks to filter out crustaceans and mollusks and insects and and algae and and other little plant-like material. 
the lesser flamingo has such a dense filter that it can sift out single-celled plants less than two hundredths of an inch in diameter. That's about one thirty-second of an inch. Mm-hmm. In most birds, the smaller, lower half of the beak works against the larger, more powerful upper half of the beak to break up seeds and stuff like that. In the flamingo, it's reversed. The lower half of the beak is larger and more powerful than the upper half. And compared to other birds, the flamingo's beak is kind of upside down. So to complete that reversal, the upper half of the jaw isn't fixed to the rest of the skull like it is in birds and mammals. So what the flamingo does is is it turns its entire head upside down in the water. And its feet will stir up the food from the bottom of wherever they are feeding. And the upper half of the beak can kind of move up and down freely since it's not fixed to the skull. And so water flows through those plates in the beak that filter out the food. They have a long, thick tongue, and they will move their tongues back and forth very, very quickly, about four times a second. And that actually pumps the water in over those plates. And that's how they filter out their food. It's really cool. Yeah, that is cool. I couldn't figure out how much a flamingo eats in a day, but they're almost constantly feeding all the time. And zoos have a special flamingo food that has that substance in it that you were talking about that keeps them nice and pink because, you know, who wants to go to a zoo and see white flamingos? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're always going to be some sort of shade of pink, huh? So what, do they just throw it into their water? Or Yes. Yeah. Yep, they just throw it in there and, and hmm. it keeps them nice and pink for the tourists. Yeah, yeah. nice. <laughs> nice. That's cool. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> So it's disclaimer time. Once again, the Varmints podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence, but then we only really have the yardstick of ourselves to go by, so we're going to do it anyway. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. As far as intelligence, I don't think they're really a whole lot smarter than the average bird, which is pretty dumb. I mean, they're like a two or a three in, in intelligence. But, I mean, if we're adding style points, they're definitely a ten. They, they, they have to be a ten. I think they're going to bust the scale on the style points. Really. <laughs> they're at least a ten. Yeah, they're definitely a ten. I agree. Yeah, I don't know. I think they're probably a two or three. It doesn't yeah, they're not that bright, but it doesn't matter. So No, they, 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 don't. they have like strength in numbers. They stay in a nice big flock and they don't really have too many natural predators and and they all kind of feed together and hang out with one another and they don't really have a need to be smart they just have a need to be numerous and together and my goodness they are numerous did you see anything of the bbc documentary it's called like one million strong or something like that they had they had some helicopter shots of this flock of flamingos in africa um near a lake and there were literally millions of them. <laughs> yeah. It's a, oh an my gosh. ocean of pink. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It was crazy town. I was like, really? This is okay. All right, you guys. <laughs> They're like, this is how we like to live. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty amazing way to live. They, they figured it out. So, yeah. All right, well, we are going to talk about some famous flamingos. There are actually a couple, and we are going to talk about partying flamingos. But we're going to do that right after this commercial. Welcome to Film Roast, 
Hey everyone, Hannah here, the co-host of Film Roast, where two over-caffeinated and underqualified friends talk about all things movies. If you like film factoids, lots of sarcasm, and bad impressions, check us out on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Film Roast Show, and like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash filmroast. Happy roasting! And now for something completely different. Hey, you know, me and Donna, we're just a couple of nerds like you, and we don't see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk a little bit about where we see them most of the time, on movies, TV, and video games, and flamingos, they're actually a little bit hard to come by in pop culture. So I picked this. to sundown the flamingos got the fun from a buffet with a view to specially dining with a real flair the world famous radio city rockets or the fun of forever plan the flamingo hilton las vegas so the flamingo las vegas it's a hotel and casino located on the vegas strip in paradise nevada the 15-acre site's architectural theme is reminiscent of the Art Deco style of Miami and South Beach. Staying true to its theme, the hotel includes a garden courtyard which serves as a wildlife habitat for actual flamingos. It was built in 1947. The final phases of construction were taken over by mobster Bugsy Siegel and his associates. And I don't know if you can hear the air quotes from associates, but yeah. <laughs> uh Bugsy Siegel reportedly he lost some patience with the project's rising costs and he, it led to some outbursts, which understandably it frightened his construction foreman. And reportedly Siegel told him, "Don't worry, we only kill each other." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that makes it okay. <laughs> yeah. Normally, I would use the word allegedly about Bugsy Siegel being involved with organized crime, but there's really nothing alleged about it. It's pretty well known that he was a, a very, you know active mobster. He even had a presidential suite in the hotel that had a hidden ladder that led down to an underground garage where a chauffeured limo was constantly on standby to whisk him away if there was any trouble. Allegedly, Siegel named the resort after his girlfriend who loved to gamble and was nicknamed Flamingo, and it is reported that Siegel called her this because she had long skinny legs. Allegedly, he was also enamored with Miami architecture. He owned an interest in the Hialeah Park racetrack where there were uh, flamingos nearby, and he viewed these flamingos as a good omen, allegedly. Within a year of the opening, Bugsy Siegel was shot to death, and his associates took over the daily operation of the hotel and casino, and allegedly, it remained an organized crime asset until sometime in the late 1960s. The hotel was the third resort to open on the Strip. It remains the oldest resort on the Strip in operation today, and the reviews for the hotel on sites like TripAdvisor and Yelp kind of reflect that. They're pretty average. And even though there have been several renovations and upgrades to the rooms over the years, uh, many people cite the age of the hotel as being sort of a drawback instead of a, a feature for the hotel. If you like Donnie and Marie Osmond, if you are over the age of, I don't know, 35, and you even know who Donnie and Marie Osmond are, and you're a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll, they have a permanent show there, and you can go see them anytime. I had a Donnie Osmond doll when I was little. 
Did you really? I did. <laughs> I think my I'll sister talk about had it. one too. I'll, I'll talk about it on another show later on in the winter. Uh, but uh, yeah. oh, that is great. One more thing: the Flamingo Hotel also features in one of my favorite books of all time, "Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas" by Hunter S. Thompson. In it, Thompson describes staying at the Flamingo while being assigned to cover the National Conference of District Attorneys on Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs that was held at the now non-existent Dunes Hotel across the street. Uh, Hunter Thompson, he kind of wrote his own style of crazy fictionalized journalism called Gonzo Journalism, where you really don't know what's fiction and what's fact. If you've never read any of his stuff, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is a great place to start. That's awesome. I'm trying to remember if I ever gambled at the Flamingo. I don't think I did. We used to go down to the, well, the Sands, which is gone, right? And then uh, also... I have no idea. I've never been to Las Vegas. Well, they used to have like $5 blackjack in Las Vegas, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. (laughs) (laughs) I used to go there all the time in the 90s, because it was cheap. We could go very simply for like $300 to cover you know both of us <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not gambling money that was just playing in hotel you know and uh, so we'd go out for the weekend or whatever but I can't remember if we went to the fl- I remember seeing the flamingos at the flamingo because they have a live flamingo exhibit or they used to oh cool um, I think I they still do. They do anymore, but uh, I remember seeing that. But I don't know if we spent any time there. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I've definitely <laughs> seen it. <laughs> I haven't been to Vegas in years, but yeah, there's nothing there for me. It's too expensive. Yeah, all the things that draw people to Las Vegas are things that I don't do or I'm not interested in. So every anything that's left over, I can pretty easily do here in Florida. Well, it used to be that it's a great place to go see shows, that you could see a whole bunch of shows in one area, and it still is, you still can, it's just that they're so expensive now that it's, you know, crazy. (laughs) It's like, wow, (laughs) oh my gosh, because there's so much Cirque du Soleil there, there's a ton of them, you can just spend the whole weekend just seeing just three or four days of nothing but Cirque du Soleil shows, and that's great, but it's expensive, so... Hey, Paul, do you, uh, I remember early on when I first joined the show, we talked about how you are lawn ornament deficient at your home. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Did the single, like, lawn butterfly or whatever it was survive the hurricane? It did. It's still there. It's, it Yay! didn't budge. <laughs> Amazingly awesome. enough, it is still there. I remember this was the chickens episode where we talked about having a 3,000 pound chicken statue in your front yard yep um have you ever been attracted to the idea of having a pink plastic flamingo in your front yard because they are so goofy and so tacky yes i would absolutely put a pink flamingo in my front lawn because i'm the kind of guy who has a lot of kitsch and garbage at his desk at work because i like that Mm -hmm. so i would if my wife ever allowed it which if she ever allowed it, I would worry that something was wrong with her. But I would definitely put a pink flamingo in my yard just just as a goof. I would be willing to put, like, several pink flamingos in my yard. <laughs> I love them. I love, like, everything. There's an article that I found on CNN and their living supplement uh, that 
it talks about the history of the pink flamingo like yard ornament. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'll just I'll just read to you this one paragraph. Yeah. And I love everything in this paragraph. Perhaps not shockingly, the pink flamingo lawn ornament was invented in the same decade that polyester pants, pink, wa- pink washing machines, vinyl wallpaper, and Naugahyde lounge chairs were cool. Flamingo fans worldwide owe their thanks to a man called Don Featherstone, a one-time employee of a plastics company called Union Products, who designed the first pink flamingo lawn ornament in 1957. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it wow. was invented during that whole era of all of that, you know, lounge music and tiki bars and all that stuff. And I love all that cheesy plastic kitsch. It is, it's all my favorite. I love it. <laughs> and I, do I don't too. know if Curtis oh. would uh, approve of pink flamingos in our yard, but uh, there you go. So basically the flamingo was invented, the little lawn decor was invented during the whole 60s where a backlash against conformity and all of that kind of stuff. So the sort of plastic, you know, just weird stuff that's not that's all manufactured and not very impersonal and a little bit tacky became kind of popular during that time and and it happened in all different kinds of in the arts and in journalism and in writing and all this kind of stuff so the flamingo to me is sort of a sign of like when everybody was just exhausted with conformity and and trying to keep up with the joneses and they were like we need something horrible and beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so great. So by the early 1970s, the pink flamingo had become cool again. And uh, it's become sort of a symbol of all things that are bad taste. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah. So it's, it's pretty cool that the manufacturers went out of uh, business sometime and think in the 90s but they're back now i can't remember the name of the company that's making them now but the copyright and the molds were all purchased by a new company and so you can still purchase them if you wish for your front yard so you absolutely can can you get them in colorado Mm-hmm. yes cool yeah i know yes. of, i know of a few places where i can go and and buy as many plastic pink flamingos as I want to and really upset my wife. (laughs) I might buy one and put it in my office. I really might do that. (laughs) The problem is that they're so big, otherwise I would have them in my office too, but I think probably I just need to buy a small one and put it on my desk. (laughs) Anyway, pink flamingo yard ornament. They're awesome. They are. I like to eat! Oh, Goodness, I like to eat too. Flamingos on the in the food box on the menu. I don't know any reason they shouldn't be, but they're not. I don't know why. So they're not for me either, and I do know why. Hmm. Well, because I am kind of a thigh and drumstick kind of guy when I get an eight piece of fried chicken, mm-hmm. and their legs just the uh, the thigh and drumstick area doesn't look. Uh, particularly appetizing on a flamingo. Hmm. They don't look edible, is what I'm saying. Well, they definitely don't look like they belong in the food box to me, so I don't know. They so have us just... all fooled, I guess. That's how they... <laughs> <laughs> they got they the... might be they're delicious. 
They're like, we're not delicious. We're beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to eat us. Look at us. Look at us. (laughs) Hey, Donna. Hmm. Is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Not today. There is no information in there today. I'm having to rely extensively on my notes today, so sorry. (laughs) Maybe next time. Well, let's try to help everybody win that next trivia night or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the animal fact of the week. Is this your homework, Larry? Look, man. Do, please. Why do flamingos only stand on one leg? I don't know. (laughs) Scientists didn't know for a long time either, like (laughs) at all. Mm Mm-hmm. The prevailing theory for quite a while was that they did it to help regulate their temperature, as putting both legs down when you stand in water would draw away more body heat. But researchers found that it didn't really matter what the water temperature was or what the ambient temperature was or how big the flamingo was. Flamingos always stood on one leg. However, in 2017, finally, researchers now believe that they have found an alternative answer. According to a new study published in the Royal Society Journal Biology Letters, it actually requires less effort for a flamingo to stand on one leg than it does on two. They found this out because I guess they ran out of things to study, so they decided to study flamingo legs. So professors from the Georgia Institute of Technology and Emory University conducted a series of experiments using the bodies of dead flamingos, flamingo cadavers. And they found that it was easier to stand them up on one leg rather than two. And in fact, when they tried to stand the flamingos up on two legs, they became very unstable and fell over. Now, standing on one leg for you and I and most other humans requires active muscular effort. It expends energy and you can only really do it for so long. Rather than active muscular effort, the results suggest that flamingos engage in what they call a passively engaged gravitational stay apparatus proximally located for weight support during one-legged standing. So in plain English, a flamingo's ankle is where you'd expect the knee to be, near the middle of the leg. That's actually its ankle. The knee is so far up on the leg, it's in its body, and it's usually hidden by the body, so you'd never see a flamingo's knees. Huh. But that ankle has something that a human ankle doesn't. That joint actually snaps shut, and it locks the foot-to-leg junction in place. So when the body weight of the bird is centered on that ankle joint, it locks the ankle, and it supports the flamingo, and the flamingo uses no muscular effort. It expends no energy whatsoever, and it can just stay like that all day. Oh, wow. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah, that's really important to, to most animals is not expending too much energy so that you have the energy you need to do things like feed and get away from predators and make little babies, which right. is pretty much what, what an animal's function is. Stay yep. alive, don't expend too much energy, eat and make little little genetic copies, copies of, yourself. of yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so cool. I keep imagining this sort of hydraulic sound when their knees or when their ankles snap shut, like <laughs> shh. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's so funny. So I was going to talk about their mating ritual. I think everybody who's seen a video of flamingos has seen them doing that thing where they walk back and forth and they dance together and they 
pick up their heads and nod at each other yep. and stuff like that, and they all walk around in a big group back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found out why they do that. You want to play the clip real quick, and then we'll talk about it? Sure. Everything about flamingos is about doing stuff with your friends, and I've often thought it's a bit like the primary school disco, in that there are some kids that really want to kind of go on the dance floor, and, you know, they really want to get there and their boogie on, we're like, come on, come like, on, mm, do it with me. Maybe, I'm not sure. And eventually it kind of spreads and everyone's like, oh, all right, we can do this as well. And then off they'll go and all do their dance together. But you don't often get flamingos where one is just kind of shuffling out in the middle going, woo, I'm really beautiful. <laughs> you have to have every single bird doing it at the same time. Of course, there's always that awkward moment when someone has to make the first move. Fortunately, experience steps in to lend a hand. <laughs> Typically, it's the oldest, tallest males in the flock who are first to grace the dance floor. The first display that you're likely to see is something called head flagging. So the bird stands very tall, it extends its head and its neck, and it kind of moves its head from side to side. Okay. And that's normally started by the tallest males in the flock. Okay. Not to say the, the females don't get involved. Okay. They're not like a peacock where you have the boys display and the females go, mm, maybe, you, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> they all do it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's a group activity. It's the courting ritual, and they're always, they're checking each other out while they're dancing. It's just like a disco. They're all like, <laughs> are you checking me out? I'm checking you out. Are you checking me out? I'm checking you out. I'm checking you out. Are you checking me out? I'm checking you out. And uh, <laughs> I saw another documentary where the naturalist was saying that sometimes a very young flamingo will get out there and start like dancing and they look sort of sad and dumb because everybody else is standing on one leg asleep. Oh, no. <laughs> it's kind of like me at every wedding. <laughs> it's like every adolescent ever, yeah. you know. Like when's the right time to start doing this? Oh, not now. Okay. <laughs> It's hilarious, and if, if you you can watch videos of this again and again and again, and I think one of the funniest ones is that one that was the BBC, where they had the people talking as if they were the animals during the thing. Oh, I've I'll never to, seen that one. <laughs> I'll have to see if I can find it and put it in the show notes, because there was, the flamingos were talking as if they were on a dance competition, like... Oh, I one, two, three, go. We're going to be really good. It's going to be great. Oh, I feel so nervous. And all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if I can find it. Cool. How many moves do you think flamingos have? How many dance moves do you think they have to lure a mate? Okay, well, I've seen some videos. Think about your dance moves, my dance moves, oh, just like your average. And then like a really good human dancer who has how many moves they might have to, you know. You can only think of like 12 maybe, right? Like that might be the upper. That would be the upper limit, yeah. Yeah. For really good dancers, like somebody that can like isolate the muscles in their chest or something, but like, yeah, okay, you've got 12, you know. <laughs> yeah. I can um, maybe do 12 different types of dance moves, but very, very poorly and embarrassingly. <laughs> well... <laughs> Researchers have found out that flamingos have like 136 moves to lure a mate. <laughs> what? Now I've seen the videos. They're not doing 136 different things. They're doing like three things. They have observed a whole bunch of flamingos doing their courtship sequences. 
and it's pretty interesting because they found that basically the more complex your moves are, the more you more likely you are to find a mate, right? So, and it's important to keep it going because they're socially monogamous, but the pairs only breed for one season, right? So. All mm -hmm. the sexually mature individuals involved in the group displays each year have to find a new mate every single year. So you've got oh. you've got to put it on every year. There's just no choice. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> basically they looked at the number of different postures that were used and which ranged from two to eight. And then they looked at the transitions between the postures, which varied between two and seventeen. So it ended up, when you do the math, to be a range of four to 136 variations of moves that they can use to lure in a mate. <laughs> wow. And they found that the higher level of the moves that you used increased your possibility of getting a mate for a flamingo. So if you're, you have to be a really good dancer to get it, get it done. So it's pretty amazing. And just on top of that, sort of another fast last fact... They apply makeup during the mating season. This is interesting. They apply makeup? Yeah. Where does this makeup come from? Their bodies. A three-year-old study of the birds revealed that the preening oil they use to waterproof their feathers doubles up as a cosmetic. They rub it on. It's a waxy substance, and they brighten their signature pink hue. They brighten it up, and... It's most frequently and vigorously applied just ahead of the breeding season, and so it seems like they're using it for a cosmetic purpose to attract a mate, So, because it's pink. So <laughs> okay. the darker pink splashes that you're going to see around their necks and, and uh, their heads and stuff are, are going to be where they've applied their little cosmetics. They've they've deliberately rubbed their cheeks against the glands near the base of their tails, which oh, okay, that was gonna be my yep. and then they put it immediately onto their neck, breast, and back feathers. So that's why you get those splashes of brighter color in the in the mess. So or in the so they're <laughs> attracting females with makeup from their butt. Uh huh. And females are attracting males with makeup from their butt. <laughs> they both do it. <laughs> Do not try that at home. Yeah. People. No, I don't think you can make makeup from your butt. I don't think... Well, you could, but I mean, that would be bad. So. <laughs> I don't think you'd want to put that on your face. I'm just saying. That will repel the opposite sex. Yeah. Or whoever you are trying to woo. <laughs> we would hope so. <laughs> anyway, so... I told you, flamingos are funky. Right. They are weird. <laughs> <laughs> and they really are amazing. I love that whole thing with them filter feeding and feeding their babies weird. Crop milk is so strange. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, they look beautiful, but they're so weird. Which they is are. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, and thank you to whoever you are in the Varmint's discussion group on Facebook. I should have wrote it down, but a couple of you recommended flamingos, so we're talking about flamingos. So thanks for that recommendation. That was it was really good. Technical support by Matthew Chomo and music by Kevin McLeod. 
They support every single episode we do, and especially you, the Patreon supporter. Thank you so much for kicking in a dollar or two every month to make sure that we can keep bringing you this podcast. We really, really do appreciate it. On the Rugrat Corner this week, Duke and Lenny are back. They were watching a video of flamingos dancing to Michael Jackson. Aww, I love Duke and Lenny. Duke and Lenny are great. Here's what they thought about flamingos. What did y'all just watch a video of? Um, what was it? <laughs> flamingos? Flamingos! What were they dancing to? Um, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Yeah, did they have some pretty cool moves? Yeah. yeah. So is that how they dance? Yes. <laughs> Do y'all think that's so they around. and spin around? Yes. Do y'all think that's how um, they find a boyfriend and girlfriend? Yes. So they could have little baby flamingos. Yeah, babies. <laughs> babies. Would y'all like to have a flamingo as a pet? Yeah. Yep. Do you think they make a lot of noise? Yeah. What do they kind of look like? Um, duckies. Duckies. That's right. Do you think that their poops pink? <laughs> yeah. Yes or no? I don't know. That, that would be pretty cool, though. Yeah. Would y'all eat flamingo? No. No. No way? No way. No way. No way. <laughs> okay, can y'all say hi to Paul and Donna? Yeah. Hi, Paul and Donna. Donna. Say thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks for having me. Oh. Bye, Paul and Donna. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Peace out. Bye. <laughs> peace out blip blop blip blop to you too duke and lenny we love you yes thanks again for listening and until next time be nice to animals and be nice to people that are nice to animals and be nice to the people that are nice to animals and be nice to the people that are nice to the people that are nice to the people that are nice to animals <laughs> You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios. <laughs> and you're not showing up on my waveform, which is great. And I'm not as echoey. Oh, technology. All right. <laughs>